You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Hi, my name is Linda. I'm a grateful child of God. I was adopted at six weeks old by a family in Rossmore. As it turned out, my adoptive parents were addicted to alcohol and overcommitment. I realize now that I was raised in a family that used activities to cover pain. So my childhood was filled with lots of activities, including gymnastics and swimming. At age 10, I had an accident that put me in the hospital. The accident shattered my confidence. I no longer wanted to participate in sports. I felt afraid, but did what was expected of me and continued with gymnastics. In my 20s, I got caught up in the biker lifestyle. My motto was live hard, die young, and leave a gorgeous corpse. Perfect for someone who didn't want to live. In my 30s, I discovered I wasn't going to die, so I went back to school full-time while working full-time, again, staying busy to mask my pain. I got married at 40 and soon had twin girls. I continued working until they were eight and then became a stay-at-home mom. This worked for a couple of years, so long as I stayed busy. I realize now that busyness kept me from feeling. At some point, I wasn't busy enough and my feelings caught up with me. Depression engulfed me. Because I no longer had activities to cover my pain, I turned to alcohol. I was in a hole of doubt and self-pity. I was not present for my kids or my husband. I fought with my husband all the time about trivial things. I felt sad and overwhelmed when we fought. I became lost in my need to control every situation. I had reached the point where I lost hope and didn't want to live anymore. I attempted to kill myself twice and then finally decided to reach out for help. At the branch, my friend Rosalind invited me to celebrate recovery. My first time there, I started crying the first time the music started. I was being touched by grace. I met other women who showed me unconditional love and acceptance. In January, I joined a step study. The study gradually showed me how to have a real relationship with God. One of the main steps that touched my heart was step three. We made a decision to turn our lives and our will over to the care of God. No longer am I fooled by the fantasy that I am in control. I've learned that it is okay to hand my worries and shame over to God and that I will not only be forgiven, but gain strength and relief from my fear. By working the steps and sharing in the pain of others, I now have my family back. I now know that there is no amount of busyness with Christian activities that will heal my inner hurts. 
It is only as I applied God's principles of healing from Matthew 5 that my habits, hurts, and hang-ups are being healed. Most importantly, I have a new strength and hope from God. Thank you for letting me share. Good morning. It's been great to see Linda's growth at the branch um, over the, the years that we've been there. She was there the first Sunday we opened, and God's been doing amazing stuff. So she is live at the branch, and so the video's here in future weeks. Wherever the person is, whichever campus they're part of, they will be live, and then the others will get the videos so we can kind of share what God's doing. And Celebrate Recovery meets um, on Thursday evenings, and then in, in January they start their step studies, which is what God really does some deep work. And I want to encourage you, wherever you are in your walk, that those are valuable times, and the testimonies are amazing. That was a condensed 37-minute testimony before and down to four, but God doing great stuff. So my name is Justin McKeldry. Um, it's great to see so many new faces. Uh, it's great to see so many, I won't say old, but familiar faces um, here as well. I've been on staff here since the summer of 2000, so to some people I'm really old news. It's like it's that guy again. For others, I'm a new face because I haven't been here since summer. I, I remember I went away to college my freshman year, moved out. My brother moved into my room before I got to the end of the driveway. Um, and then a year later, I was back, and I retook my room. I was 10 years older. It wasn't a fight. Um, and so, but he kind of looked at me like, you're back again. So we're one church with many campuses, so I'm every Sunday at another campus, but I'm here all week. I'm doing my laundry here, eating out of the fridge and everything. This is, uh, this is where I am most of the time. So let's pray for this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you... Our God who has spoken and continues to speak. And I pray that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, um, that we would hear what you want to say to us this morning, and that we would be changed by the power of your Spirit, um, and that we would leave here different people than we came in. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember the first time I saw a clip of It's a Wonderful Life, and I say a clip because I was young, and I was it was on TV, and... Um, George Bailey is running down through the middle of the city, you know, at the end where he's all happy saying, you know, I love you, wonderful building and loan and all that kind of stuff. And it just kind of creeps me out. I'm like, I turned that off in a hurry because it just seemed weird. I thought it was a Twilight Zone. I was young. And, and, you know, it was Twilight Zone, Leave it to Beaver were the black and white shows that I would watch. Um, so fast forward a few years and I'm in high school, my junior or senior year, I think it's a psychology class. And we're watching the movie and when you're like a junior or senior in high school and you're a jock, like you are not supposed to be wrecked by a movie like that movie. I was like, okay, I got I to gotta shut the waterworks down by the time the teacher turns the light back on because it was a powerful movie and it still, I still moves me every time now that I've actually seen the whole context, not just a crazy guy running through the street. Um, because it's so much about relationships and, and just everyday goodness. And, and there's this thread of hope. It's my favorite Christmas movie. There's this thread of hope that the little guy is going to take and defeat Mr. Potter in the end. Hope is important to the storyline. Of course, we've all learned in Home Alone that Christmas is, is the time of perpetual hope, is what Kevin's mom says, as she is trying to get back home to her son who is home alone. And she got a ride with John Candy out of the deal, which is, is fun. Um, but pick your favorite Christmas movie, and I'm sure hope is at least an element in it. Because to say that hope is tied to Christmas is far too weak. 
hope is, is much more central. Christmas springs from the soil, the root of hope. There may be more to Christmas than hope, but hope is tied to its DNA. And man, do we ever need hope. Uh, some of us are grinding our teeth through the holiday seasons because we have these visions of perfection dancing in our heads. We have this ideal Christmas that we're trying to execute much to the frustration of those around us and, and maybe even to our, ourselves. We're hoping for that perfect Christmas. Uh, for others, the hope is, is, is that the holidays remind us of loss and, and we, just, we just don't want to feel that. Um, we mourn this, this, well, we've been mourning since it happened, but the homegoing of Clayton and this Saturday will we'll celebrate his life. Um, but hope brings those, those frustrations of life to the front. Um, we have more than half of our country is... Uh, mourning the election. I don't know if protests are still going, but they were. And in fairness, the other half would be mourning if the decision were different. We are a nation divided. We need hope. We all have personal issues that are wearying us, year-end pressures for the salesman, family conflict, health issues. Um, We have finals uh, for students. We have drama with friends, drama with dating. We have life is drama, and we need hope. For some of us, the holidays, when we have this hunger for hope, what it does is it provides us, and really, it really resonates with Linda's story, it provides an opportunity for distraction. It helps us to focus on other things so we don't have to deal with what's going on on the inside. For others, it just smacks us right in the face of why we're grieving. Um, whether it's staring us in the face or whether we're trying to ignore it and we like to th- to feel like we're just fine. The fact of the matter is we need hope. It, it's fuel for life, and thankfully it's a gift from God. Now, I'm strange, and I suppose that's true in a lot of ways, but one of the ways in particular is when we talk about, okay, we're going to go through this, let's say we're going to go through a gospel. I like the weird passages. It, it's just something about me that, that will say, okay, we're going to go through Matthew. I'm like, can I do the genealogies? Like, I just, I just enjoy those. Um, and it's not because I really like genealogies unless I'm having a hard time getting to sleep. But what I do like is that when you get into that and you're like, okay, this is the line of the Messiah. This is a bunch of Jewish males. And why is this Gentile in here? Why is this prostitute in here? Like, why are these different things happening that are out, not what we'd expect? And, and the, gen, the, the, the genealogies give us some insight into what God has been doing. And that's what we want to look at this Christmas. We're not going to spend all of Christmas on genealogy, so you don't have to find a new church. Don't worry about that. But, but what it's, it shows us is that throughout time, Israel was waiting for their Messiah. They needed hope. They were the, under the thumb of Roman oppression. Life was hard. They were yearning for a deliverer. They needed hope. But, and the genealogies show us that that's always been the case. That this, this need for hope isn't new. It wasn't something that happened just 2,000 years ago. It had been going on for centuries before that. In fact, it's been the quest of, of mankind almost from the beginning. And it was in the fullness of time that God sent his son to bring the ultimate hope at Christmas. Now, when I say it's been the, the quest from the beginning, I'm only slightly exaggerating. Luke begins his genealogy at Jesus' time, and he goes back all the way to the beginning. In fact, Luke 3.38, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. He goes all the way back to the beginning. Matthew, he starts at Abraham and then goes forward all the way up till Jesus' time. Now, I think Luke does this for a reason. We'll get back to that later. But for the next few weeks, 
we're going to look at some key people in these genealogies and how they communicate the hope of Messiah and how Messiah brings hope to our lives as well. So we're getting, we have Adam this week. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter three. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and our ushers will be happy to bring you a loner if they can, if they can find you. So raise that hand high. Now, the reason I say I'm only slightly exaggerating when I say that um, hope is an issue from the beginning is the context of our passage. See, the first two chapters of Genesis show how God created everything and he created it perfectly. It was very good. It was beautiful. It's paradise, literally. And when I say literally, I really mean literally, not figuratively like people say, like they say when they mean literally. Um, I confused myself there. But, but the point is there was no need for hope. Perfection was realized. So if we are actually going to hope for something, there needs to be something that we're lacking. There needs to be some kind of tension. There needs to be some kind of way that it's not perfect. And so what you need to do now is you need to brace yourself because I'm going to take you there. So I want to encourage you, if you want to leave, if you're going to leave early this morning, you should leave now. Because if you leave after the next five or ten minutes and don't get the end of the message, you're just going to walk straight to a dark room. You're going to curl up in the fetal position, sucking your thumb, because it's going to get dark. And not just lights dark. It's going to get dark because we're going to look at depravity. We're going to look at the fall. But if you can stick it out, you're going to see the beautiful other end of it. Because I want to leave you with one truth this morning. And just this. If, I, if you don't get this by the time you leave, honestly, it's your fault. Because I'm going to say it so many times that you, will, um, you have to get it. Um, when despair is deep, God's hope is deeper still. That's what you need to leave with this morning. When despair is deep, God's hope is deeper still. So we're going to look at the story behind this, the greatest story ever told. Remember our context. Perfection. The very good creation. There's, there's no need for anything, no expectation to be realized, unless maybe one could be fabricated here. Enter the serpent. Remember, creation's all good, so there's no reason to be scared of a snake here. Um, and so we see chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And, and so it begins. Now we haven't read what God told them, but no, God didn't tell them not to eat from any tree from the garden. But you see the, dis, the seed of discontent being sown here from the beginning. The seed of doubt in God's goodness. But Eve's got this. She corrects in verses 2 and 3. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. She got 90% there. She, she added a little bit to it, but she mostly got it. But the serpent's persistent. Verses 4 and 5. You'll not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Tried one way, it didn't work, but he keeps at it. And now he's planted a seed of hope in the woman's mind. But it's a disordered hope. It's a hope that's outside of God's desire for humanity. It's, it's, God, God created us, wanted us to live in harmony under his reign. And it's replaced for this wanting to be like him. That's what happens next. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. 
if you thought your Thanksgiving dinner was a disaster, this one was far worse, right? I mean, if people started politics right away, this is still far worse. They ruined everything here. They corrupted all of creation. Think about this. There was no need for hope because they had everything they could want, but then they hoped for what they should not want. And disaster. And there's a cautionary tale here because just because you want it doesn't mean you should have it. Perhaps, in fact, there's a good reason we don't have it. And this is all background. It hasn't even gotten bad yet. So this is where we get to our point. When despair is deep, God's hope is deeper still. So cue the despair, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So they know they're in trouble and dad's not even home yet. Verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So now we've got big trouble here, and it's not even done. In fact, this is just the cross-examination. They're still in court. The, the, the judgment has not yet been handed down. And so we move to that. Now, he judges the serpent. We're going to skip ahead, though, to Eve. Verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And then verse 17 for Adam. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now, maybe because, I don't know, maybe it's because we've heard it so many times. Maybe it's because it's an ancient text, and so it's a, maybe a stranger story than we're used to, but absolute devastation absolute that any pain in your life derives from this moment we learn in Genesis 1 that we're created in God's image all humanity we continue to exist in God's image but the scriptures are clear in that but now that image has been defaced terribly so it's like a mirror being dropped it still has its qualities of being a mirror but it's broken that's how we are one of the i heard it described this way several years ago and it just has really stuck with me well that we're described as being image bearers but broken in four different ways and it's it's makes a lot of sense of life for me so i'm going to share that with you now the first way we're broken is our relationship with god is broken we get that they hid from God. They blamed God. God cursed them. They're going to experience death now. They'll be banished from the garden at the end of the chapter. We are now God's enemies. We are in rebellion against him. Spiritual death. 
The next way we see our brokenness is in human relationships. We, each other. Adam blamed Eve and God. Eve blamed the serpent, passing the buck, blaming one another. All of our relational chaos and confusion and conflict started in this moment. Relationships are intended to be life-giving. Eve was supposed to complete Adam, but now they've been dealt death because of their disordered hopes. The cryptic language there of Eve's desire being for her husband and his ruling over her just highlights the relational conflict we face in human relationships, even those that are most dear to us. It's rough. And we're only halfway done. Because the next is our relationship with creation. Whereas Adam's vocation of of tending to the perfect garden was a delight, now it's going to take toil. Some of you are gardeners, and you love your garden, you love putting it together, but but now the ground's not going to cooperate. See, work was never intended to be a curse. It was intended to be an expression of how God uniquely made us to make something of his world. But now it's hard. Now it's exhausting, it's tiring, it's toilsome. No matter how much you love your job, you're usually not looking forward to Monday, right? In Romans, Paul says, creation groans under the weight of sin awaiting the redemption of the new heavens and new earth. So it's pretty bleak. And we might be tempted at this point to think, okay, I'm on my own. Which is, is, is you know, that's, that's what movies are made of, right? We're, we're the masters of our fate, we're the captains of our soul. And if that's the case, then let's be honest, we're lousy captains. They, Adam and Eve have shown that already, and, and that reveals our last element of brokenness is this internal brokenness that we deal with. I, I don't know a better term, but ourselves. That we have seen the enemy and they are us. Basically, we're broken inside. Psychological, spiritual, whatever. Our internal harmony is shattered. Have you ever just sat and thought, man, what's wrong with me? And if you haven't, then you you need help. Um, I know I have, and I hope I'm not alone. I'm certain I'm not. Adam and Eve hid from God. They felt shame, and they they hadn't even talked to him yet. We're broken, and we can't fix ourselves, and we certainly can't fix anyone else. And, And so... It's not really a wonder why the world's such a mess. It's actually not bad considering. Have I said Merry Christmas yet, by the way? I don't know. Like, like this is, I, I told you, either leave early or stick it out. So this is bleak. Whether we want it or not, Adam and Eve represent us. Their fate is ours. And when we look at their fate, the despair is pretty deep. And that makes it difficult to believe the flip side of it, that God's hope is deeper still. But that's all we've got. So let's sit with this for just another moment because this is our natural status. It didn't have to be, but it is. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, we're in conflict with God. His enemies, it says in Romans. We're disfigured internally. We're at odds with each other and in conflict with creation. And this is from the Bible. This isn't a headline on CNN or or the AP or anything like that, but it rings pretty true today just as it did then. It's pretty hopeless. It's actually miraculous that it's not worse. God's good to us in spite of us. The question is, do we really have room for hope here? Well, I skipped the serpent, and it's strange that we would find hope in the serpent here, but stick with me, because now we're going to see that seed come to fruition here of hope, and it specifically speaks to Christmas. Verse 14, 
So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat the dust. You will eat dust all the days of your life. So the snake's going to eat dirt forever. Great. I don't feel bad for him a bit. Um, but what next is where the hope comes from. Verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So in all of this death, there is this glimmer of hope. There's this struggle between God's people and God's adversary. That's our human story. But there will come one from a woman who is going to put a beat down on the snake. In the Bible nerd literature, this is called the Proto-Euangelion, which means the first gospel. That first indication that even before all the cursing is out of God's mouth of humanity and creation, he is offering hope right from the get-go. To say, man, you guys blew this, but I'm still going to save you. I'm still going to send a child. I'm going to send, not that specifically, but I'm going to send a son who's going to fix this mess. I I love... um, the definition of the gospel from Tim Keller, it'll sound familiar, but he said, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very time, very same time, more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That was too long to be my central thought, but I ripped it off. That's the idea. That our despair is deep, but God's hope is deeper still. So even in the context of God declaring the utter corruption of humanity, he gives hope. A seed of the woman will crush the serpent. What child is this indeed? When despair is deep, God's hope is deeper still. And we continue to see hope as we complete the passage. Um, Through verse 20, it's utter devastation. Uh, Adam sees death all around him, but look in verse 20. He says, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And even there he is looking towards life, and that is only because of the hope God gave him. It certainly wasn't in and of himself. And so begins the story that leads us to Christmas. Next week, we'll look at Abraham. Then we'll see Ruth, a Gentile woman in the genealogy, and then King David. And all of them, whether it's harm done to them or harm they've done, need hope. And they hope in the Messiah, and the Messiah is Jesus, born on Christmas Day in a grungy stable in a nondescript town. Galatians says it best. Galatians 4.4. 4. Next slide there, bud. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. But it's more than just being born, it's, it's, and it's more than Jesus dying, too. Both are critical, but back to why I think Luke waited until chapter 3 of all places for his genealogy. Um, I think there's a reason. He starts with Jesus, and he starts working backwards. And he ends with Adam. And I think that has to do with Luke 4. Because Luke 4 is then the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness by Satan. The son of Adam, Jesus, tempted by Satan. Adam just failed temptation spectacularly. Is this son of God, this son of Adam, just like every other son of Adam, will he fail too? Or will his story be different? And we know the story. He conquers Satan not just there, but ultimately at the cross. And because of that, we have hope. The fact that Jesus is born and that he conquered sin, it's tremendous. It gives us great hope, but but here's the thing. Like like if I'm drowning and I see you reaching for a life preserver, I've got hope. 
If I see you throwing the life preserver into the water, I've got hope, but it doesn't do much good unless I grab onto that thing, right? And so we need to do something with this hope. They aren't just nice thoughts. And so I'm going to pop over to Romans 5. You can turn there if you like, but I mostly want you to, to, to be looking my way, so it's up to you there. But Adam and, G- and Jesus in this passage in Romans 5 are c- compared and contrasted. And we're challenged on who we want to identify with, who we want to belong to. Verses 12 to 14, just again, as if this hasn't been heavy enough, will give us some more picture on how death reigns. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. So all that to say, sin's always been an issue. With the law, we just know what we did wrong, but we were always doing stuff wrong to begin with. So death reigns. Despair is deep. This is grim. We're all with Adam in the fall. He's our representative, but there's another representative who's coming. I need a couple volunteers. Um, let's see, Randy, would you come on up? Let's see who else. Dean? Dean? Come on up here, I need you for a second. Yeah. No, you guys can stay right down here. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read this passage. And we're going to contrast Adam and Jesus. Randy, I'm sorry, you're going to be Adam. But, so you guys can look that way. They want to look. They, they, yeah, you guys can turn around. Um, just smile. Um, and I just want you to get the visual of, of how Adam and Jesus are contrasted. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. So just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Okay. Is there any question on where we should place our hope after that? Is there any question where we want to be found? I hope not. Now, none of us were able to choose if we wanted to be in Adam. That's our default setting. That's where we started. That's, that comes standard. But we can decide whether we want to stick with him or whether we want to be connected to Jesus, whether we want to be found in him. When despair is deep, God's hope is deeper still. And God reveals that hope to us in Jesus. And Christmas is all about his birth. 
that's where his earthly life begins, but the ending is where he does his greatest work. See, sin has a cost. It was high. Mike likes to use the term mountain of moral debt, um, which is incredibly appropriate on Black Friday weekend, right? But we've got this sin debt, and we can't pay it ourselves. We're enslaved to an Adam kind of life in a debtor's prison, but it doesn't have to be so. Now, I want to be clear here. We can't liberate ourselves. We can't be good enough to get out of from under the curse. We are cursed. But there is one who said, I will bear the curse for them. And that's what Jesus did. That's the gift he gave. Along with all those other blessings we just mentioned, he did that for the glory of the Father, but also because he loves you. He really loves you. When despair is deep, God's hope is deeper still. And so now the ball's in your court. Like a Christmas gift, it has been plopped down in front of you and you can just admire it saying, wow, that's a nice thought. Thank you for thinking of me. Or you can actually open it and receive the gift. And so I don't know where you are this morning, but if you want to experience that Jesus kind of life, you need to step into that. Now, for some of us, we've been Christians for a long time, but we still live an Adam kind of life. And we need to say, I need to put off that old way of living. I need to walk in the newness of Christ. Again, put off the old, put on the new, it says in Colossians 3. That's where we can start. But there's some of us here who, who, you're not sure why you're here today, and, and you're here because you need to hear this. I know for me, it took me a long time before I finally said, okay, I'm going to submit to what is clearly God speaking to me, heart, my heart and saying, hey, you need to get with this. You know this is true, now is the time to respond. And if that's where you are, we want to we help you walk through that. We want to give you an opportunity to respond to that this morning. There's others who, maybe you're not feeling anything, but you say, well, that's clear. I know which one I want to be with, and you've not yet made that decision. You've not said, I want to receive that apart from thinking it's a good idea, and you need to make that commitment. If that's where you are, I want you to pray with me. Um, Now, prayers aren't magical words. It's it's not magic. But if, if a prayer of commitment is the genuine cry of your heart, that's a great first step. That's a great declaration saying, God, I'm with you. And so I want to give you an opportunity to pray with me if that's where you are. So would everyone bow your heads? And if you mean this, pray it along with me. Um, God, I know that I'm broken. That is evident from my own recognition that I'm not the way I'm supposed to be, from my brokenness in relationships, from life just not working and certainly I don't know you like I like I want to and I know I can't fix this myself so I need you to save me thank you for sending Jesus to bear this curse of sin in my place and I want to receive that gift and walk in a newness of life with you in Jesus name amen if that's your prayer then we would love to, and that was the cry of your heart. We want to talk with you. We want to pray with you afterwards, help you walk forward on that journey with Christ. Um, there's some who you're just not quite ready for that. You're still seeking. You're wondering what this is all about, and we are thrilled that you are here and, and we're part of your journey. And we want to help continue to help you to continue thinking. And so out in the um, lobby, there'll be some guys wearing a white carnation, and they'll have a stack of these white envelopes. And with these, um, 
you can just grab one. You're, if you're not sure, but you want some more information on what it means to follow Jesus, um, grab these from one of those guys. They won't talk to you. I mean, they're nice. They'll talk to you if you want to talk to them. But if you're worried, like, I just want to get the envelope and go. I don't want to like get into a deep conversation. They won't talk to you unless you talk to them. So you can just take the envelope. Mike and I would love to talk to you if you want to, but these are there for you. And, and some of the things in there, there's a letter on how to start a relationship with Christ. There's a little pamphlet that kind of talks about how Christmas connects to our, Christmas story connects us to God. Um, and there's a, a book, it's, it's actually a portion of a book of, um, Lee Strobel was an atheist um, investigative journalist, came to faith, and then he kind of went back and explored, okay, what were the things that kept me from trusting Jesus for so long? And then he wrote a book interviewing different experts, helping him overcome some of those obstacles. So it's, it's, a, it's a short book, but it is lots of great stuff in there. So if you've got some things you need to get over in your mind, those could be a great place to start. So I want to encourage you to grab those. Um, just grab it for yourself. If you think, hey, I've got a friend who this is perfect for, it's probably not. It, you, you need to, um, it might be, but they need to want it before you kind of shove it in their face. So um, be sure to grab it if it's for you. And if you want to talk, come to talk to Mike or myself. Nothing would make us happier than that. See, Christmas is a time where there's a lot of pressure. We want things to be just right, maybe. That's our hope. Others, we just want to survive. The holidays are tough. That's the hope we hold on to. And if we're honest, hope sometimes leads to disappointment. But you know how you can have a foolproof Christmas? Not perfect, but foolproof. Is to make it about Jesus. Uh, Don't get me wrong, do the gifts, do the tree, do the traditions, whatever you do, but just don't leave Jesus out of it. He's the hope. You may not get the perfection that you want, but the only way to really mess up Christmas is to leave Jesus out of it. So don't miss that. Don't get focused on the shiny objects. Just don't do it. Because remember, when despair is deep, God's hope is deeper still, and that is revealed beautifully at Christmas. So whether you're realizing this for the first time or it's been your life story, there's no truth more important than this. So place your hope in Jesus. It will not be misplaced. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. And Christmas is when we're reminded that this is all on your initiative. That we've been hoping and hoping and hoping, but in the fullness of time, by your good pleasure, you sent your Son to give us life. What a gift. Help us in the hecticness of this season to not lose focus on what the season is all about. That in Christ we have a hope that is deeper than any of our despair. And we celebrate that now in Jesus' name. Amen.